As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, a bonus edition after the end of the... Islanders season. Game 7 just ended a little while ago. A 1-0 loss to the Lightning in Tampa. The semifinals are over. The Islanders lose 4 games to 3 and it's Tampa and Montreal in the Stanley Cup Finals starting in a couple of days. Um, well, that was uh, that was an emotional post-game, I think. Even uh, sitting and watching it on Zoom, seeing Matthew Barzell choke up while trying to talk about the veterans on the team that uh, he'd hoped to win for. Um, Josh Bailey looking like he'd uh, rather be anywhere else than having to talk to us, but kudos to him for coming out. And Barry Trott speaking about the the special group that he coached, and uh, he's talked about it a lot, and I think uh, tonight in that postgame showed what he was talking about, that um, even though this was a team that clearly had some flaws and clearly was, uh, m- you know, at times the second-best team on the ice in this series, uh, certainly skill-wise, um, they were one goal away, one small breakdown uh, on a power play where Yanni Gord was able to slip in off the bench and uh, the Islanders playing their first power play unit, which only has one defenseman. Nick Letty was in the corner. Josh Bailey went to the corner uh, on Anthony Sorelli. Nick Kyle Palmieri was a little bit unsure of where he needed to be when Gord came steaming off the bench. Pucks in the net, and that's it. Um, watching the lightning really clog up the shooting lanes and, and foil the Islanders zone entries and, and passes across the, the top of the zone and the, at the blue line. It looked very much like an Islander game where they're trying to preserve a lead. And, uh, you know, I think when we have talked uh, with AJ uh, on the podcast a lot about the Islanders being called boring, um, I think you can show them if somebody says that to you as an Islander fan, well, they're boring. Just show them a little clip of the lightning uh, getting in shooting lanes and chipping pucks out and being very content to, to, to hold on to a one goal lead in that third period, not attacking at all uh, and say, okay, well, nobody calls the lightning boring, but that's how they won game seven. So anyway, um, hard to, hard to evaluate the whole series right now. Um, seeing as that, the difference was, like I said, that shorthanded goal uh, and the Islanders' inability to really get anything going. You know, on uh, seeing my mentions on Twitter after posting a few quotes and fans 
venting their frustration about not seeing Oliver Wallstrom at all this series. Certainly valid. You know, he was a, a dynamic player in, in his first full NHL season this year. Uh, had a decent impact in the Penguin series before he got hurt. Uh, seemed to be at full health by the end of the Bruins series, but Barry Trotz preferred Travis Zajac. And I think um, the problem with that Zajac, Palmieri, J.G. Pajot line as this Tampa series wore on was clearly Pajot was severely compromised. He was not even you know half the player impact-wise that he was earlier in the playoffs. Um, so that line is a checking line was really limited to just trying to chip pucks out. They weren't able to generate much zone time. There wasn't a lot of jump in for Pajot, Zajac, and Palmieri. Palmieri was really fighting it. It seemed this whole series after scoring seven goals in the first 12 games of the playoffs, he had none against the Lightning, and he had a lot of good chances, a lot of good looks. Um, so that line, I think, uh, could have used a little bit of a boost. There's no two ways about it. Um, and Wallstrom probably going in for Zajac was really the move. Um, you know, they went, Trotz went to Palmieri with Barzell and Eberle, you know, pretty much past the five minute mark of the third period in game seven tonight. And, um, too little too late, I guess, uh, to make that switch that he had made a couple games earlier to some success. So that's really the only difference. You know, I think now you, in Trotz talked about it, you can feel the absence of Anders Lee, um, even more with this series. And I think, you know, um, seeing some of the clips that the Islanders posted of Lee reading the, the opening lineups and smacking the door of the locker room uh, to really get things charged up. He's a great leader, and it's uh, it makes it all the more frustrating that he was uh, sidelined this whole postseason. It's the second time in, in his NHL career that he's missed a, a decent postseason run. 2016, he was out with a broken leg and could have had an impact in that Tampa series as well. Um so I imagine you're going to see a very determined Anders Lee coming back off of this ACL injury when he's uh, able to to get back into it in training camp. Um, you know, other standouts to me in this series, obviously Semyon Varlamov really shook off uh, his his un- unfortunate first period in Game 5. Um, he was the only reason it was a one-goal game in Game 7. He was superb, you know, really top of his crease a lot, challenging shooters, um, you know, swallowing up pucks. Seeing a lot of shots, got a lot of got a few good shot blocks in the first period when Lightning were really putting it to the Islanders, but uh, but really that was Varlamov's show, and um, you know you, you start to spin it a little bit forward and think about the off season, which is unfortunately coming up very quickly. The expansion draft is just in three weeks from today, from tomorrow, I guess from uh, from Saturday, um, and the Islanders do have some decisions to make. I don't know that they're going to be that uh, impactful at the expansion draft, but I think all off season. Uh, which AJ and I'll get into uh, in a few days when we record our usual spot for probably the last show, last regular show of the off season. Um, Anthony Bovillier is a restricted free agent. Adam Pellick, who was every bit the equal of Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough in this series is too bad. There's not two Adam Pellicks because that's essentially what Tampa has in Hedman and McDonough and even Mikhail Sergachev, who didn't have as big an impact in this series. But those other two guys, McDonough especially, looked like vintage New York Rangers, Ryan McDonough, which was unfortunate for the Islanders. He was blocking a lot of shots, made the play to start the to cut off a, a pass to set start the play in motion that set up the, the winning goal on the on the lightning penalty kill. But Adam Pellick uh, is a restricted free agent. He's going to make a lot of money this offseason. And Ellie Sorokin is a restricted free agent, and you're going to obviously keep him around. So um, some decisions to be made. 
the cap is, is the Islanders are again very tight to the cap already as we start to look forward. But I think we'll just focus for now on this series and um, you know what transpired in the last couple of days. Game six, you know Beauvillier scoring the winner. The Islanders looked like they were dead in the water after misfiring on their five on three, uh, and then Tampa taking a two nothing lead. But uh, there were still a few a few ghosts lurking around that old Coliseum, and uh, the Islanders came back. Matthew Barzell kind of put them on his shoulders and really generated a lot. Got some goals. Jordan Eberle hadn't scored in a while. Scott Mayfield scored a, a beautiful goal in the third to tie it. And then Beauvillier with the winner. And the beer can shower came. And um, I know there was plenty of hand-wringing about that. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> seeing the, uh, the noisemakers on the ice in Tampa after Game 7 made me think that um, it's just you know, people are happy to be back in buildings. And uh, I think the Islander fans didn't know what else to do with themselves. They weren't going to pull the seats out of the <laughs> out of the uh, concrete, knowing that there might be a chance that they could they could be, need them for the Stanley Cup final. But um, it was still quite a sight. I didn't uh, I didn't think it was quite as dangerous as people making it out to be, since uh, most of those beer cans are probably mostly empty. Um, but uh, it was quite a scene, you know, to think that the last two games, last two playoff games, because we don't know what's going to happen next season with UBS Arena, whether it'll be ready in time and whether they'll have to play a couple games or a preseason game or whatever at the Coliseum. But these are pretty assuredly the last two playoff games we're ever going to see at the Coliseum. And to think that the lasting images of those two games will be Ryan Pollock making one of the more remarkable defensive plays you'll ever see. And Anthony Bavillier scoring an overtime winner to send the place out the way that he did. Um, those are special moments. You know, they're not Stanley Cup moments like the Dynasty guys had, but uh, they're about as close as you can get. You know, to think that um, the place can finish on a you know on a winning note is uh, is something to say. You know, it, it it did the last time it closed in 2015, and obviously that series didn't didn't end the way the Islanders wanted it to against Barry Trotz's Capitals in that first round, but. Um, but it's, uh, I think it means something to have those two, la- those last two games, and certainly all the fans that I saw at those games and talked to, will remember it pretty fondly and be able to feel like, you know, even though the Islanders didn't get back to the Stanley Cup final, this was, uh, this was something to hold their, you know, hold their heads up high about, and certainly the players as well. And as far as you know, what Barry Trotz talked about tonight, um, the character of his group, he said it a lot, and sometimes it kind of goes in one ear out the other when you've heard it a lot. Um, whether it's in the regular season or when their backs are against the wall in the playoffs. But I think it means a lot more to think about it now in the context of seeing how upset the players were, um, seeing how, you know, hearing how um, how painful it is. You know, Barry Trotz had said after the game six overtime loss in the bubble to the Lightning um, that that one was going was gonna to stay with him to his grave. And I can only imagine what, what this game seven loss will, will do to him you know, will stay with him as well. And I think um, when you think about the anniversary of his hiring is just past the three-year mark um, and what they've been able to accomplish, especially the last two years that have been impacted by COVID and playing in the bubble. And then this year with mostly no fans. And then suddenly the last game of the Coliseum is as full and as loud as it's ever been. Um, it's a lot. And, and you have to have a lot of, uh, a lot of good, you know, a really good foundation and good character. Um, all those cliches that Barry likes to talk about. And, you know, um, Garth Snow used to talk about those too. And they were important to him. You know, Garth was always a guy who looked up to Lou Lamorello and tried to run his team the same way 
there were a lot of factors that went into why it wasn't the results didn't come out the same way because um, there's only one Lou Lamarillo who can run his team like that. And I think, you know, Lou coming in and setting a foundation of, of professionalism and a business-like attitude um, and hiring Barry Trotz to, to kind of put a real, a real family style touch on it. You know, Barry Trotz has, has a real personal, a personal touch to him. That's a, that's a gift that not that many people have to be so comfortable with yourself that you can also make everybody else feel comfortable in a high pressure situation like pro sports and in the NHL. Um, it's a reason why he's beloved by guys that haven't played for him in 20 years. So, um, and I think you can even see it in the, you know, when he's shaking hands, whether win or lose, he wants to make sure that he has that personal touch where he's looking guys in the eyes, guys who haven't played for him, maybe, uh, who he's only played again, you know, coached against. He makes sure that they know how he feels about them and, and how, how much respect he has for them. And that goes double or triple for the guys in his own room. So, the foundation that the Islanders front office and coaching staff has laid um, can't be discounted. You know, there's going to be a lot of changes this offseason. It, it seems it would be very difficult to bring back much of the same group, whether it's thinking about Casey Zekas leaving in free agency because they can't afford him. Kyle Palmieri, who, like we said, shut down in the Lightning series, but certainly earned his way into a lot of uh, a lot of Islander fan hearts with the way that he played in the first two rounds. Um, you know, those are guys that they might not be able to afford the, you know, the expansion draft, like I said, is coming up in about, uh, they have to have their list in, in three weeks. A few days after that is the expansion draft. Will they lose a guy like Nick Letty? Will they expose a forward like Jordan Everly to try to get out from under those contracts? Um, the team is going to look a little different next year. It could be a good thing because you could see more prominent roles for guys like Noah Dobson, uh, Oliver Wallstrom. Maybe even a guy like Otto Koivula or Kiefer Bellows um, to round out, uh, you know, a forward group that's that's good, but also going to be very expensive. Um, if they lose Nick Letty, who goes in in that second D pair? Does Andy Green decide to retire? Do you need another third pair guy? Does do you see a guy like Samuel Bolduc make a big leap after a very short a first pro season in the AHL? Um, a lot of those questions will eventually be answered. Uh, they may not be answered the way that the fans wanted, you know, want. It, it certainly didn't happen that way last offseason when when Lamarillo decided to trade Devon Taves, um, who was a, you know, a good young player on defense and and Nick Letty needed to step forward. And he did for the most part this season. He looked a little bit like J.G. Pajot, I think, by the end. He looked a little compromised. He had a decent a decent third period in game seven, but but he didn't seem like himself for much of this postseason. So um, but I think ultimately you trust what the the foundation that they've put down and, um, and that's going to serve them well in this off season. Even if there's some changes that a lot of the fans don't want to see, um, one of those restricted free agents, uh, I would imagine that the only guy that they can afford to lose is Anthony Bovillier. And even at that, that would be a tough one to give up. Um, but if it is that big a change, um, you know, the fans will be upset, but I think, you kind of still have to have faith in what they put together here in just a short time. Only three years since, uh, you know, they missed the playoffs two years in a row. John Tavares left. New guys came in. Um, I think a lot of people still haven't around the NHL still haven't quite given this team their due. And uh, I think after getting even closer to a Stanley Cup final uh, two years in a row, I think Scott Mayfield said it best. You get you get to the Final Four back to back years. It's no fluke, and uh, 
you know, I think Vegas doing it out West um, and falling short. There's a lot of soul searching out there uh, because people assume that they were a, a championship caliber team. I don't know that there's going to be quite that same assumption about the Islanders, but the Islanders are going to do it because they feel like they belonged. So that's all we got uh, to wrap up game seven. I'll be back with AJ Maletsko next week with our regularly scheduled No Sleep Till Belmont recording. Um, We'll break down the entire postseason. We'll start to look ahead to the offseason. The expansion draft, like I said, will be creeping up before you know it. After that is the regular draft. The Islanders don't have a first-round pick. And soon after that is free agency. And we'll see what happens with guys like Palmieri and Casey Zizekas. Um, And even beyond that into August and, and up until training camp, whether we'll you know, the Islanders will be able to relieve their cap crunch uh, once again without making any drastic moves. I don't know. It's going to be tough. And, uh, you know, the pain of tonight will will sort of bleed into some anxiety, I would imagine, coming in the offseason. So we'll, we'll be able to break it down a, a, with a couple of special episodes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, and we'll be back with you again next week. No sleep till Belmont. This is Arthur Staple signing off after a tough Game 7. I'll talk to you soon.